welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the wellness manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. I am here today with Joe Laszlo of Urban Bicycle Food Ministry, and we are going to talk about radical hospitality. Joe, welcome to Emotion Well. Thank you. It's good to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I am an avid bicyclist uh, here in the Des Moines area. I actually live up in in a small town called Kelly, Iowa. And uh, uh, about uh, six years ago, actually on October 25th of 2014, I was out for a, a nice, not long, what I call leisurely bike ride with some of my friends. And uh, I, I, I like to say that, that God grabbed me and, and woke me up. Um, I, I hit uh, a, a marker in the trail that said, slow down, there's a, there's, there's a road crossing. And uh, the next thing I knew, I had uh, been thrown off my bicycle, went over my handlebars, uh, landed on my right shoulder, cracked my helmet, and uh, uh, really messed myself up. I shattered my clavicle, broke six ribs, and broke my acromion. Um, about uh, four days later, I, I had surgery and uh, had a, a plate and nine screws put into my shoulder. Um, and that was really the, the genesis of the Urban Bicycle Food Ministry. Um, but, but a little bit more about myself. Um, you know, I, I work for John Deere during the day. Um, I'm a, a divorcee that is, is uh, uh, now remarried to a wonderful woman by the name of Stacy. And uh, I, I got into biking after my divorce and uh, always had a, a, a calling to do something. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that calling was, uh, but uh, the bicycle accident really was the genesis of the Urban Bicycle Food Ministry. Um, and uh, after I had surgery and, and I um, continued to go to church, probably around uh, two weeks later, I had what's known as a, as a noetic experience. Um, and a noetic is when you know that God's spoken to you. Um, I was in church. Pastor Fred was talking about we are here to serve uh, people. And uh, I, I had this distinct feeling that God said, Joe, you're going to start a ministry to the homeless on your bicycle. And uh, he, he said it again. And I was the only one that heard it. So on uh, a, a little bit of discernment, talked to a lot of friends, talked to some spiritual advisors, and uh, did a lot of research and... Uh, on, uh, on March 12th of 2015, I started the Urban Bicycle Food Ministry with 25 burritos and 20 bottles of water. Nice. So had you, in your life, it sounds like you started bicycling later in life. I, I, I did. Um, I actually got back into it. Growing up in the, uh, in the 60s and 70s, um, bicycling was the only way to really get around. I mean, if you want to go see a ball game mm-hmm. or if you want to go to a, a you know, little league ball game, so the swimming pool, got on your bike. Um, I got my driver's license in the mid seventies and I kind of turned my back on, on the biking, uh, on doing the biking. Uh, although I had done Ragbri, uh, three, four and five, 
uh, chased my career, got married, had kids, um, traveled all over the, the U.S. For, for work, and then came back to the Des Moines area uh, in the, the late 1990s and uh, uh, went through my divorce, and, and I needed to do something, and a friend said, you know, Joe, there's a lot of bicycle paths in this area. You probably would enjoy biking. And it's like, man, I really miss that. So I, I, I got a inexpensive bike from uh, from Bike World, and I started riding, and I just decided that, you know, this is this is something that I really missed, and it, it it's a passion. Yeah. I would imagine... For you, biking has enhanced many dimensions of your well-being. You know, at EFR, we talk about a whole person being, you know, focusing on physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual aspects of well-being. And just, you know, in the few minutes we've been talking, it, it sounds like biking has had a huge impact on your life, and you probably never expected it to have the impact on your life that it has had. Uh, one dimension of well-being we talk about a lot at EFR is also the spiritual aspect. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I think people see that word spiritual or spirituality and they associate it with some kind of organized religion or a divine power, but, and it can be, and it certainly is for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be. Uh, Had you ever been involved in, you know, organized service outside of your church in terms of what you're doing with UBFM, you know, is an act of service? Had you ever been involved with something similar or... Yeah, I, I actually grew up in the church. My my dad is a minister. Okay. Uh, my mom is a nurse. So service, I, I, I think, is really a, a part of a part of me and has been a part of my life. Um, I, I I've been very active in my church uh, over the years, um, and and I'm a firm believer that um, it, it's it's not really the the denomination that drives you. It's the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's God. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, it's Christ. It's, it's the triune uh, God. And, and I've always been involved, whether it's uh, starting a new church or being a part of a new church development when I lived up in Wisconsin, um, whether it, it has been uh, serving at the state fair stand uh, with, with a church over a number of years. Uh, but as far as, as the Urban Bicycle Food Ministry, of starting something from scratch, uh, starting a nonprofit. I had never done that before. Um, that was just completely out of the blue. I never thought about that. Um, it was just from that noetic experience that uh, it's like, okay, I, I have to do this. I, I've got to do something and get that out there on my bike. Now, now something I, I do need to, to mention is that um, the, the, the concept or the idea of, of UBFM um, that that's not my brainchild. Uh, there's actually an urban bicycle food ministry down in Nashville, which is the original UBFM. Um, and and when I was searching for what do you want me to do, God, um, I did a lot of praying. And as I said, I talked to my my spiritual advisors, my 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 trusted advisors, and I, I googled. Uh, bike ministry, bike missions, probably, I don't know, a thousand times and nothing popped up. And about two months later, then something popped up down in Nashville, Urban Bicycle Food Ministry. And I said, oh, oh, this, this is what you want me to this do. This is it. <laughs> this, this, this was it. And I, I, uh, I, I sent an email down to the contact information. And I explained my story about what had happened. 
and I got an I got an email right right back from uh, Pastor Tommy, and Pastor Tommy said, "Yeah, I'd love to talk to you." So I got on the phone, and we had a a, a couple of hour conversation, and he said, "You know, Joe, I I need to tell you." that I have been praying to figure out how do we get this idea of serving people on our bikes and serving radical hospitality one burrito at a time. How do I do that? And and you sent me your email. So, uh, you know, for me, that was a God moment. And for him, it was a God yeah. moment. So, so since then, um, the idea of, of serving people on bicycles, the, the homeless and the food insufficient has expanded not only to Des Moines, but Dubuque, uh, to St. Louis, to Chicago, to Nashville. Um, there was an organization that was very similar in Wichita Falls, Texas. So it, it's continuing to grow. Now, we're all very much separate entities. Uh, we share the name. We share that mission of that radical hospitality, one burrito at a time. Are you all serving burritos? We we do serve burritos. And, and somebody has asked me over the years, says, well, why burritos? And and I actually asked Pastor Tommy that. <laughs> I said, so why burritos, Pastor? He said, well, I was a poor college student. Um, I made great burritos, and they were inexpensive. So that that really has, has been one of our, our main staples yeah. as far as food that we give away. Well, and you can pack a lot of calories in a burrito for people who are food insufficient, and they're going to feel satisfied for you know much longer than maybe a regular sandwich would. You are, and and our 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 excuse me our our burritos uh, are beef, beans, rice, and salsa. So okay. the beans and the beef in there, it's a lot of protein. And uh, the, the more that I've I'm understanding about food insufficiency and and homelessness, the importance of protein mm -hmm. in a person's diet. It helps them with decision-making. Uh, we, we do occasionally see women out there on the streets that are pregnant, and yeah. it's really important to give them as much protein as possible for the developing fetus because mm -hmm. um, if they don't get the right amount of, of protein, um, there are some mental deficits that they have to deal with throughout their entire life. Mm -hmm. And you get a child born into to poverty that that does not have um, the, the good cognitive development. Um, it, it's going to follow them through the rest of their life, and they're not going to make good decisions. And, and the cycle just continues yeah. over and over again. And I'm sure that... It's part it, of the adverse childhood experiences or the ACEs. I don't know if you're familiar with ACEs. I, I'm not familiar with ACEs, but it, it makes a whole lot of sense when I see... Um, a lot of a lot of kids that are are food insufficient, and it, it it's not going to go away unless we give them the right food and 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 the proteins and that for them to to make those decisions. Yeah, this is so interesting. I want to go back to your noetic experience for a moment sure. because I when we had corresponded before uh, you joined me today at the table, I you had mentioned a noetic experience and I consider myself pretty well read, but I was just like, what is that? And so I started looking it up and I thought it was really fascinating. And so I just wanted to share for our listeners that a few definitions I found of a noetic experience is a direct knowing, intuitive knowing, or an inner knowing, which is kind of the opposite of a rational knowing. And so you said yours was kind of led by God, but do you know enough about noetic experiences that someone could say maybe like intuition or just whatever their higher power, you know, whatever a higher power means to them could 
be part of a noetic experience? And this is more for, for my curiosity. Yeah, boy, that's a that's an interesting question, and I, I don't think I've I've been asked that. Um, I, you know, from from some of my my other experiences, um, everybody has a god of their understanding, right? And um, I, I'm very I, I'm very um, firm and 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 well, firm is a tough word. I, I'm very comfortable with 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 my Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that that God shows Himself herself in many ways to many different people, um, and and a noetic experience that I had may be different than a noetic experience that you have. Some people might experience that by going out and and walking in nature and, and you know hearing a bird sing mm-hmm. and, and go like oh you know that that's a that's a long lost relative that's a, a right. long lost friend uh, so I, I think it's it's it, it can be different for everybody um, and, and I firmly believe that the, that the God of my understanding um, is the God of all understanding um, we just we just hear and we listen and we come at it at, at a little different way and, and and that's okay yeah. Um, we, I, I think the biggest thing is that we just have to be willing to listen. Um, yeah. so many times I think we get caught up in the minutia of life of, mm-hmm. um, you know, an illness diagnosis or work or, or whatever it is. There's just it, a lot of distractions that keep us away from that inner knowing. We all have an inner knowing. I believe. I, I, I believe so, too. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that a, a lot of times what we miss is just taking the time to sit and just be. Turn off the TV. Mm-hmm. Turn off the iPhone. Turn off the, the cell phone. Um, just listen. And, I, and I've found that very important in my life to be able to, to do that and, and just listen. Mm-hmm. And by listening... We get those noetic experiences. Yeah. And listening can be uncomfortable sometimes. And I think that's why people don't often like to do it. I mean, I can say from personal experience that sometimes I don't like to listen, you know, to whatever my intuition is saying or what my higher power is wanting to lead me to. But when I do take that time to listen, I can cite many times in my life where it's resulted in you know, a very good thing or a positive experience. Yeah, and that, that's uh, what, you know, right after the noetic experience, uh, the God of my understanding just gave me a couple of months where he needed me to kind of work through it and just uh-huh. listen. And uh, I think that that's the reason why um, I didn't find Urban Bicycle Food Minister down in Nashville right away. He just let me kind of think about it. And, and, and I find a lot of of that that spiritual time when I'm on my bike, mm-hmm. um, when I'm just riding by myself. I don't ride with music. I just let the wind whistle through my ears, and and it's a very peaceful time for me. Um, I've also uh, tried to to back down on the the amount of bike riding that I've done, um, so that, that way I can be a little bit more in tune with, uh, with with my friends, with my my family, and just taking that time to just just sit. And, and just relax and just be. Just be, yeah. So your accident was in October of 2014. By March of 2015, you had 
open the Des Moines chapter? Uh, I, I didn't know. Yeah, I, we, we did, or I did. Okay. Um, it was just me. I rolled down Ingersoll Avenue with the 25 just you. It was just me. Okay. Um, and that was something that Pastor Tommy said. Um, he said, Joe, as you start this out, you have to be comfortable going out there and walking up to people and saying, have you had supper tonight? Okay. Um, because you may be the only one that that is out there doing that. Uh, so I, I rolled down the street in Ingersoll, and, and uh, uh, there is a, a coffee shop there, and there was a gentleman sitting on the ledge outside that coffee shop, and he was obviously homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and I pulled up next to him, and I said, have you had supper tonight? And he said, who's asking? And I said, you know, I'm the Urban Bicycle Food Ministry. And he said, who asked you to do this? And I said, God. And he said, well, well if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. <laughs> so I, I came to know him as Norm. And that was the first person you gave a burrito to. That was the first person that I gave a burrito okay. to, um, and I, I I I got to know Norm, and uh, we've seen Norm over the years, off and on. I haven't seen him for for a, a, a couple of years now, so I don't know where he is. I, I hope that he's doing okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would see Norm uh, for probably around the first six months, and uh, I continued just riding into downtown, and and uh, I found a couple of other people. And uh, had uh, had some extra burritos left over, and took them home and froze them, and said, "Well, maybe I can use them again." And um, turned out that they that they froze very well. Um, and the next week I went out, but in the meantime, between the first time I went out and the next time I went out, I started reaching out to some of my bike my biking friends. And the next the next week, uh, a woman by the name of of Melinda from work uh, came with me. Um, the next week, there were a couple more people, and it just kind of kept growing. Um, and we started to say, well, where are we going to meet? So we started meeting at the old dolls on Ingersoll. Mm-hmm. And uh, people would start making burritos on their own or, or bringing, bringing other sandwiches. And, and it just kind of kept growing and growing. Um, our base of operation now um, is Capitol Hill Lutheran Church. Uh, which is on the corner of Fifth Street and, and Des Moines, um, at Des Moines Street. Um, and how we got there was another kind of God moment, noetic experience. Uh, we were in, in great need of bug spray. And I put out on Facebook that we could use some bug spray for our people out there. Uh, and... Uh, um, so you wanted it for the, the people serving the burritos or for the homeless? Uh, we, we really wanted it mainly for the homeless, okay. but we also had to make sure that we protect our, our bike riders. Right. And, and the summer of 2015, if you don't remember, it was a very wet summer, and there were a lot of bugs. And we were actually going into mainly the, the homeless camps. Uh, they're down along the Des Moines River. Um, they're, they're, they're really the homeless are, are hiding in plain sight. But a woman at my church that I was going to gave me $20 and said, here, I wasn't able to get any bug spray, but go get some bug spray. So I walked into Home Depot, and I bought $20 worth of bug spray. And as I'm walking out with, with two bags of bug spray, the store manager at that Home Depot said, you're going to be doing a lot of work outside. And I said, no, it's for the homeless. And she said, tell me some more. And she said, go back and get twice as much. Oh, nice. So... That $20 turned into $40, and as I'm walking out, I, I ran into a gentleman that I hadn't seen for a number of years. I used to work with a guy by the name of Dave Carlson at the Principal Financial Group, 
And uh, Dave goes, Laszlo, what are you doing with all that bug spray? And I, I told him the story, and I said, I'm looking for a church in downtown Des Moines with an older congregation that still wants to be active in the community that I can call our rally point. And he says, that's my church, Capitol Hill Lutheran Church. So we've worked at a Capitol Hill Lutheran Church for the past five years, except for when the pandemic hit. Um, we we had to uh, rejigger everything, and uh, uh, when, especially when winter came, we mm-hmm. actually worked out of uh, Staves Memorial Methodist Church over in East Des Moines, but we just made our transition back to, to Capitol Hill, um, and we'll start working out of there on Thursdays, and we'll be back on our bicycles. Great. So you mentioned winter, and now I have a question. How do you handle the transition of seasons? Does it change how you deliver burritos? Does it change... The number of homeless people or food insufficient people that you encounter. Um, there, there are a couple answers on that. What we do is typically around Thanksgiving we go to winter protocol, and what winter protocol is is we do everything in cars. We run the same routes. We have seven routes that uh, go throughout the Des Moines area. They're all color coded: red, blue, green, orange, uh, so on and so forth. And we just do it with cars. Um, because, uh, when, when we get out there and kind of our cutoff point is if it's, if it, if, if at right time, it's going to be 39 or below, we do everything in cars. Um, most bikers, if we get out there and we just ride and we're constantly moving, we can stay warm. We can build up enough heat Mm -hmm. in that, but we're going a block and then we're stopping. Um, and we're building that relationship. And then we go another block. So it can get really, really cold out yeah. there on the bikers. We also have a, 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 a very strong rule that if we do not have four bicyclists on a route, we can't send that route out. We do that for safety. Uh, we send out every route has a, a dedicated route leader. Um, they know the route. They know the people. They know the stops. Um, and they know what to do in a situation should it get a little bit um, dicey. Mm-hmm. Although in six years, we've I, I think I can count one time where it's like, we need to get out of here and we need to get out of here quickly. The homeless and the food insufficient, they expect us. They know us. Um, they, they treat us with, with respect because we treat them with respect as well. And, and they know that we're coming every Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also... Uh, see us, we have bright um, construction green uh, uniforms, which is a t-shirt, um, and it has Urban Bicycle Food Ministry Des Moines on the back, and uh, they know that, again, we'll treat them with respect and we'll give them food. We are seeing um, uh, you know, a lot of people that are out there in the homeless camps, they're, they're out there year-round. Um, they're in their tents, uh, Joppa is another organization that does a great that does great work with the homeless in the Des Moines area. Are they the little house people? They are they are the tiny homes that they're trying to 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 uh, to build and trying to find a a permanent location for those. Uh, Joe Stevens is their uh, is their lead man there, and we work very closely with them. Um, if we receive any type of of donation for a tent. We actually give that to Joppa because they they are more capable and better able to to deal with with getting tents to those that okay. really need them. Um, so we we work very closely together, um, and and it's it's a great re- great organization. 
but your your question is, uh, do we see people year-round? Yeah, we do. We see a lot of people that are out there. Uh, during the, the winter time, uh, we have a couple of organizations and, and that will give us blankets. Um, there's something called the free store, and uh, we typically get uh, three or four big bags of blankets uh, that we take out to the homeless. We get donations of winter coats, gloves, um, socks. Um, one organization that has been very beneficial to us is uh, Bomba Socks, if you're familiar yeah. with their story. Uh, one of our uh, one one of our UBF members, a guy by the name of Mike Brown, um, he and his wife Anne became very very active in UBFM a couple of years ago, and, and Mike said, you know, there's this organization called Bomba, and for every sock that's bought, they will give away a pair of socks to homeless, and we we were able to get seven thousand pairs of socks. Oh wow! Through Bomba, and we're still working through that. Uh, we're getting, uh, you know, smaller, uh, we're dwindling down the supply, but we're going to take and, and make a request with them again and say, we've given out 7,000 pairs of socks to the homeless. Those are good socks. Those are very, very good socks. Um, so, um, you know, things just kind of fall in place. Yeah, and I find that, you know, the with Bamba, and then you mentioned when you were at, I think you said Home Depot, maybe when you yes. got the bug spray and the store manager just made a comment. And then once she found out a little bit more of what you were doing, I feel like there are a lot of generous people in this world and people are willing to help out. You just have to be willing to ask or willing to share your mission and your story. Yeah. Um, you, I never was that big on social media. Social media has played a, an important, huge role in the growth of, of the urban bicycle food ministry. Um, we've had people, when we ask them, well, how did you hear about us? Well, I, I'm a friend of a friend of a friend, and we, we saw your, your posting on Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we, we do a lot of that. Um, I'm very active in the biking community. I, I officiate bike races. Um, I do charity rides. I do ragbri and all that. So a lot of people know me, and when they, they heard that, that I was starting UBFM, they said, well, we want, to be, we want to be a part of that. So we've had bike clubs come in. We've had college students come in. Um, we've had people that uh, just say, wow, I, I heard what you're, you're doing. I, I see you riding around on your bicycles with your, your bright shirts, and, and, and I looked you up on Facebook, or I've looked you up on your website. So um, just asking people, to hey, come come and join us. Mm -hmm. I think that success in an organization like this is always making sure that you have something for your volunteers to do. And that's really kind of one of the ways that we have grown as an organization. Um, we started out with, with burritos. And um, at before the pandemic, we were doing 700 burritos a, a week. Um, we also started having... 20 and 30 people coming on a regular basis. Well, let's make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We need to have something for them to do. But peanut butter and jelly, it, it's a good protein. It, it, it's a good sandwich, and it, it's a sandwich that can be uh, kept in a Ziploc bag for two or three right. days. Um, and we had a, a, a woman um, that, that drives down from, from Perry, 
uh, every week, and she was getting leftover buns from Subway because she talked to the store manager and said, what do you do with your, your day-old buns? Well, we throw them away. I'll take them off your hands. So we would put together 300 turkey and cheese sandwiches. So um, just just asking and just making making it available for people to learn about. Yeah, making your cause known. People people come. I, I think one of the, the the things that has worked to our advantage as well is that the Urban Bicycle Food Ministry, we are not meant to preach, proselytize, or convert. Um, our goal is to build radical hospitality one burrito at a time. And 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 our focus is not to convert. Um, honestly, I don't I don't care what your beliefs are. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have non-beliefs too, but we are an open and accepting organization. So we have people from every denomination uh, that come and join us. Uh, we have atheists. We have agnostics. We have Muslims. We have Jews. We have Wiccans. And, and honestly, I, I don't care. Right. The only thing that you have to believe is that there's a homelessness and food insufficiency problem in America, and specifically Des Moines. And if you believe that, come join us. Uh, you know, that's that, that's what we're here for. Because I personally think that that my actions uh, are, are much louder than my words. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how we get people coming back. And we've actually had some people saying, I'm glad you're not trying to beat the Bible on me. You're, you're just out here to feed. And I said, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So you mentioned Norm. Have there been any other kind of long-term relationships you've built with individuals you're serving over the years? We have, and there, there's a couple of guys that I, that I really have to call out. Um, there, there's a guy by the name of Mike, and there's a guy by the name of Tracy. We started serving them in the homeless camps, and both Tracy and Mike were, were long-term homeless, and they now are active members of UBFM. Very nice. They, they, they come and they help. Um, Tracy has been uh, one of our blue route leaders for quite some time. Um, Mike is very active on the yellow route, and the yellow route is an automobile route. We don't send that um, out with bicycles um, because there are some people that are says, I believe in your cause. I don't ride a bike. I don't want to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our yellow and our orange route, they actually go a little bit farther out. One goes to the far north side. One goes to the far south side. Uh, but they have their route, and they, they have their people that they see on a regular basis. Uh, all the other routes, uh, again, are, are bicycle routes. Um, we do see a lot of uh, the same people on, on a weekly basis. Um, they know us. They expect us. Um, and and we, we provide food. But the biggest thing we provide is that relationship yeah. building. Sometimes what, what I found out that that when I go out, that the people that we serve might not have had somebody look them in the eye during that day or maybe even that week, may not have given them a hug, may not have given them a handshake. Now, you know, with, with COVID, we've had to be very, very careful with that. Right. But before COVID, I, 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 I've given hugs to people who haven't had a bath in I don't know how long. Uh, they might be high. They might be drunk. But it's the best hug that, that I get on that yeah. Thursday night. And for them, it is priceless because we're, we, are, we are making them known. Mm-hmm. And they are seeing that, wow, I, I am important yeah. to somebody. Um, 
you know, we, we see that not only in the homeless camps, we see that uh, in the low-income areas. We actually go up into the Oak Ridge neighborhood. Um, in the Oak Ridge neighborhood, there are 15, 16 different languages spoken mm-hmm. there. Um, and every continent of the world there, and it's a very, it's a great organization, but we, we feed a lot of the kids up there mm-hmm. that might not have had food since early in the morning because mom and dad are out working. We go to some of the low-income areas uh, where are the senior citizens, Elsie Mason Manor, Lagudi Towers, right in downtown Des Moines. Um, and, and we see a lot more need for for our burritos and for our peanut butter jellies, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches um, as uh, we get closer to the end of the month because uh, their, their, their government assistance, their Social right. Security is starting to run out. So you don't necessarily have to be homeless to be food insufficient. There are a lot of people that have food insecurity there's a lot of people that have homes. Yeah, there, there's a lot of that. And, and I think really we're seeing a little bit more of that with with the pandemic going on. Um, there's a one of my UBFMers, she actually has a, a group that she goes out with on Saturdays. And when the pandemic hit, she said that we were, we're seeing about a third more people out there. And, and I think that that's true. Um, and, and I think we're going to continue to see more people. Um, the, the, the route leaders, when they come back in, they, they give a report. And we're starting to see an uptick as the weather's getting nicer. Um, I think that with, with the pandemic, we've also had people that have stayed with relatives, stayed with friends, thinking that, uh, that the lockdown was going to be, you know, short and that right. they'd be able to, you know, go back out or, you know, get back into a normal life. Um, I, I think that uh, some people have, have extended their or overextended their stay, and, and now we're seeing them on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that with the job situations, um, there's you know the, the same thing is happening that 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 people are trying to make ends meet, and um, rents are going to be going up, and uh, we're, we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of food, in, a lot more food insufficiency, a lot of a lot more homelessness because of what's going on. Do you see a lot of youth or families? Um, primarily, what we are seeing is, uh, um, you know, a, a younger crowd in their twenties, thirties, and forties. In that, we occasionally see some families, um, but the the I, I think Des Moines does a really good job with 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 the families and that uh, of getting them off the streets. But we occasionally run across some families. We do see um, a number of transients that come through. One of our stops on our blue route is we do stop at uh, the Greyhound bus station, which is, I think, up on 2nd Avenue. Um, We see a lot of homeless kind of hanging around there. But we also see a lot of people that, um, you know, they're going from maybe uh, the northern part of the U.S. down to the southern part. And they barely have enough money for a bus ticket, let alone food. So we stopped there, and we've had some situations where people have said, you know, I, I haven't eaten for a couple of days. And we, we will give them a few more peanut butter and jelly sandwiches just to get them through to wherever they're, they're going to. Yeah. such so This is just so interesting and inspiring to me. Uh, I, I was just looking up some information about homelessness and the prevalence of mental illness. So with our role at EFR, you know, we are um, working to reduce the stigma around mental illness, and we provide a lot of great resources to 
the community, to employers. But with regard to homeless uh, individuals, I found that about 25% have a serious mental illness and 45% have any kind of mental illness. And just to compare that to the general population in the United States, one in five or 20% of the general population is diagnosed with any kind of mental illness in a given year, and only 5% is serious. And so I just think it's so important to um, remember that a lot of times, you know, the people that are homeless, uh, I think it can be easy to just assume that, you know, they did something in their life or they made a choice that put them there. And I've I've just never understood that. I've always seen a homeless person as someone's son or daughter, maybe someone's mother or father, a brother, a friend, and it could be anything, you know, that happens in your life that leads you to being homeless or food insufficient if maybe you have a home but you are uh, food insufficient. But, you know, with, with people who are homeless – you know, if they don't have access to food, they're certainly not going to have access to mental health resources. Yeah. And, and that makes me really sad, you know, that how can we help these people find not just food, but, you know, other resources to help them thrive and perhaps, you know, move from being homeless to having a home and being back and part of a community. Yeah. It's, the, the, you, you said a lot there. Um, there are some people, and it's a very, very small percent, that do want to be out in their tents. They 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 choose to be. They homeless. choose, okay. And and uh, you know that was uh, we see that occasionally. Um, most of the people that we see, um, they were living on the margin anyway. Maybe they had a job, uh, but they're making uh, very very low wages. Um, and they might have been injured because they're doing manual labor and, and they can no longer mm-hmm. afford rent, so they're they're out on the street. Um, maybe it is a, a spouse situation where they're trying to, to get away from an abusive spouse, yeah. um, or, they, they again, they've, they've lost the job. The, the other thing, and, and I learned this early on, that some people are homeless because they don't have the friend network. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a couple of times where um, we were we were up in the northern part of, of Des Moines, uh, and there was this gentleman, and he had this this big bag, and it looked like he had everything that he owned in there. And we pulled up, and we said, "Have you had supper tonight?" And and no, and I need some food. And and we said, "Well, where are you going to stay?" And he said, "Well, I, I came up from Florida a couple weeks ago because." Um, I, I met a gal online and she said, come on up here. Des Moines great. Well, she kicked me out, but I don't know where to go because I don't have any friends. I don't have any family. So I, I think that there's you know, some of that that goes on. And, and I know that, you know, from my own personal experiences, um, that, that um, at, at one point in time I had lost a, a job mm-hmm. and uh, um, as some friends of mine said, well, you need to come and live with us. Because uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. My daughters were 13 at the time. And, uh, you know, luckily they, they said, just come live with us. So I, I could have been one of those yeah. that, you know, could have been out on the streets. But, you know, for eight months I lived with them until I was able to, to find another job. Yeah. And, and and off I went. Yeah. I also think, you know, I've had, I used to live in Sherman Hill, just kind of kitty corner from Oak Ridge. So 
in, and I lived there for about 10 years. And in the time I lived there, you know, there were a lot of people that would ask for money. And oftentimes when I would be walking back from downtown, let's say I went out to eat, um, my husband at the time, we would be walking back home and we would have our leftovers. And if someone would ask for, for money, usually we would just offer them our leftovers. And I remember doing that on a handful of occasions. And I remember a woman knocked on our door once and she was barefoot and she wanted a ride somewhere. And I didn't feel comfortable giving her a ride somewhere, but I gave her a pair of flip-flops that, you know, I, I didn't need, you know. And I just think, don't be afraid to help someone. I mean, you know, of course, make sure that you are safe and that you're not doing anything that you think could potentially um, put you in a bad situation, but it's okay to extend a hand. Um, and, and you don't have to provide what they're asking for. You know, I'm, I am pretty reluctant to give people money if they ask me for money, but if I have a granola bar in my purse, would you like a granola bar? You know, and so I just think there are so many ways to touch someone else's life and make a positive impact. And it does feel very rewarding, you know, that you've made a connection with someone and that you've given back in some way. It is. And uh, that that's something that um, UBFM does not do is, is we do not hand out money. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were to hand out money, um, that would get throughout the homeless camp. And then that's all that they would want. Uh, we're, we're there to, to feed. Um, what you did is, as I, I ask everybody to do that, and, and that comes back from my faith is that, uh, you know, in, in the Bible, it does say, uh, I was hungry and you gave me food. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I, I needed clothes and you gave me clothes. Um, I will not give money away, but if I see somebody or they ask me for, you know, do you have a couple bucks? I said, no, but uh, if you walk down to the quick trip, whatever, I'll buy you whatever you want. And uh, I've had lots of situations like that. Um, you know, you, you also said just do something. Um, that, that person that's down on their luck, most, most of the time they, they, they just need somebody to help them out. And, uh, you know, by giving them a pair of flip-flops, by giving them a granola bar, by buying them a meal, um, that might be something that gets them to tomorrow where somebody can help them. Um, and and I, I've actually, over the years, I've had people say, well, Joe, aren't you taking and just enabling people by giving them food? And I said, uh, well, um, I, I don't think so. And then they come back and they say, well, but what about, uh, you know, teach a man to fish? And I said, well, I feel that my mission is give a man a fish so that, that way I can get him through to tomorrow yeah. and somebody else can teach him how to fish. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. How can people get involved with UBFM? Sure. It, it, it's very easy. You, you, if, if you ride a bike, that's great. If you don't ride a bike, that's great as well. Uh, we have a couple of different ways you can do that. If you go out to Facebook and uh, look up Urban Bicycle Food Ministry. And I'll link to this in Des Moines, the show notes for people. Um, because there there are other UBFMs out there. Uh, we also have a website, which is ubfmdsm.com. Uh, go out there and you can click on the volunteer uh, button. And uh, that actually... Uh, lands in one of my board members' mailboxes, and then she will take and send out a welcome email that kind of explains what we do on Thursdays. We'll get you on our, our, our mailing list. 
Um, and then all you have to do is is show up and be willing to serve. And you can serve once. You can serve every week. You can kind of choose how often you want to be involved. Yes, and we, you know, you, you know, individuals, families. Um, if you are part of an organization, um, if you have a child who is looking for silver cord or mm-hmm. uh, you know service hours for high school, uh, we will gladly sign off on that. Um, if there's a larger group, um, just let us know that you're coming a couple of weeks in advance, so that way we can prepare for you. Because yeah. as I said, volunteering, I want to have something for you to right. do. And my biggest fear is having 20 people show up and say, okay, we can help. And it's like, I don't have anything for you to do. But yeah. So just, just give us a, a little bit of a heads up. Yeah. And Thursdays at 6 p.m.? Uh, Thursdays at, if you show up at Capitol Hill Lutheran Church at 530 and you show up in the, in the east lot, um, you, can, uh, you, you can help us out. And then about 6 o'clock, we have a safety briefing. Uh, and then around 6.15, we send you out, and you'll be done by about 8.30. All right. Well, that is such uh, great information, and I hope that people explore different opportunities to get involved with the Urban Bicycle Food Ministry here in Des Moines, Iowa. I would like to segue over to Tammy Hoyman, the CEO of Employee and Family Resources. Tammy is going to share a little bit of information about EFR's annual fundraiser, Ride Don't Hide, which happens to be a bike ride to reduce the stigma surrounding mental illness and substance use disorders. Thank you, Johanna. Yes. It's great to be here. Tammy, it is good to have you here. Welcome. I wanted to touch base with you on our annual fundraiser, which is coming up in just a couple of weeks now, May 17th through 23rd. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this year we're going to be holding the event virtually again um, in, uh, you know, observance of the uh, COVID safety of, of everyone, but we certainly are hoping that people will get out on their bicycles that week and um, uh, tag themselves on social media and maybe talk a little bit about um, why bicycling is important to them and, and tie it into the um, uh, mental health aspects of of that kind of activity, um, which is why we do the bike ride as our fundraiser. There are really three main purposes. Uh, One is to um, bring some information to the general public about mental illness and addiction, um, to uh, offer a healthy event that um, we want to promote for for, uh, a healthy lifestyle, and then the third is to promote the uh, services of employee and family resources that address um, mental illness and addiction. Yeah, and just to give our listeners a little bit of a background, this is our fifth year with our annual fundraiser, Ride Don't Hide. The first year was really warm. The second year, <laughs> rainy. The third year, perfect. Last year, virtual. This year, virtual again. But I think last year's virtual event was really, really successful and that it brought people out in a different way and it got people engaged on social media and I think you know that is how people are connecting especially in the last year or so and it is a great vehicle to raise additional awareness around mental health addiction and then also the services that EFR provides would you like to share anything about the services we provide that the fundraising efforts go towards sure Um, EFR offers um, substance abuse services 
and mental health services uh, through counseling programs. We want to um, make sure that uh, finances are never a barrier to anyone accessing our services. So um, our fundraising dollars go towards supporting those programs and making sure that anyone can access our services regardless of their income or ability to pay. Great. So if you're listening and want to learn more about Ride, Don't Hide or would like to participate in this fun event, please go to our website, EFR.org, and you will see a pop-up for Ride, Don't Hide. You can click on that, learn all about it. Uh, We even have an opportunity to be a ghost rider. So you can ride yourself or you can be a ghost rider and contribute uh, towards EFR's efforts. And we say life happens. We're here to help. Thanks for listening to Emotion Well. Please subscribe to us and don't forget to rate us. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Emotion Well is hosted by Johanna Dunleavy and produced by Emily Wonkong.